This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about this report that we put up on our website about two or three weeks ago, March 8th actually. I've done a couple updates since then, and I'll give you sort of the background. What it is, is the case for humanist marriage in BC. And the one thing I didn't put in that report was actually what is a humanist marriage, because that sounds like sort of an oxymoron or something maybe not considered. The idea of marriage has been around for a long time, and I'm not going to go into the full history of who invented marriage, because it's not my specialty, and it's not my field, and it's not relevant. Humanist marriage has sort of evolved over the last hundred years. If you were at my talk about humanism a few weeks ago, I'm going to turn this down one more notch. Yeah, it's it. it was fine one week, and then it just goes, is that? Test. Okay. Less feedback, more voice. So if you're at my talk about humanism a few weeks ago, you will have heard me talk about the history of the British Humanist Association specifically. It evolved from ethical culture societies and these sort of religious humanist organizations, groups that were still atheists but like meeting and doing church-like things together. So having Sunday sermons, not like this actually, like more churchy, uh, and doing a lot of ritual but the ritual would be based on reason, compassion, and secular values rather than the supernatural. I mean, you can date this back to the French Revolution when there was the cult of reason, which was really just a church of atheists. Over time, that's gotten less popular, but out of that has always been a sort of, let's have ceremonies and rituals based on the values we all share, sort of science, reason, compassion, hope, these things that are humanist. And so a humanist marriage is a marriage that instead of having Bible verses or sort of a defined structure, really reflects the values of the couple and the sort of broader worldview. Because humanism is very individualistic, each marriage is different. So I can't give you a, this is what a humanist marriage looks like. I think my Sonia and I's marriage was effective, was effectively a humanist marriage because we had local humanist Laurie Williams, who's a marriage commissioner, perform it, and we wrote it. We had to keep in a couple lines that I'll get into later. And I performed a marriage for a friend, where we also had to have someone sit in the corner and observe us, but we still sort of customized it to the couple, and it sort of reflected these positive values. So that's what a humanist marriage is. We get asked two or three times a year, spontaneously, without advertising, from people, couples, young couples, saying, can you perform a marriage for us? Do you have recognized efficiency, because these are things elsewhere in the world, as I'll get into. So it's always been in there. Since when we founded in 1984 as the BC Human Association, we had in our constitution that we want to provide ceremonies and those sort of alternatives to religion, including recognizing important parts of, including recognizing important passages in life, like marriage, births, deaths. And so, Canada Revenue Agency recognized this as one of our charitable purposes, and so the federal government at least thinks we should be doing this, but we're not allowed under the provincial government, which I'll get into. There's a lot in here. 
marriage has evolved a lot recently in Canada. It's often thought of as just sort of a static institution. But just in the last 15 years, we've seen the introduction of same-sex marriage across Canada and the widespread acceptance of it. It's a non-issue anymore. Even the conservative leadership debate, there's only one candidate who would maybe think about going back on that. Beyond that, here in BC, we've seen changes to the Family Law Act so that common any two people who are living together for two years can essentially, in a marriage-like relationship, are now considered married for common law purposes and you are entitled to all the same benefits. So you don't even necessarily need to have the ceremony. What I'm basically going to try and argue for is just one more evolution of the institution of marriage. But the background of this is, of course, the changing religious demographics of BC and of Canada. BC has always been the least religious province in Canada, and it's increasingly more so. I've talked numerous times about our statistics, but I always like reminding them. Uh, in 2011, the last census that looked at what is the religious proportion in Canada found that in BC, 44.1% said they were no religion. And that's up from 12% in 1991 and 23.8% in, 20, in 2011. 20, 2001, I have a typo in this. It went from 12% in 1991 to 23.8% in 2001 to 44% in 2011. But the problem with the census is it asks, what's your religion even if you're no longer practicing? So you have this big group of, I'm culturally Catholic in there, which is a thing as you can just look at the census about Quebec where it says it's one of the most religious provinces, which doesn't reflect anyone's views. So this is why in 2013 and in 2016, we asked pollsters and we paid for pollsters to ask, do you practice or do you practice or participate in a particular religion or faith? And when we asked that in 2013, 64% uh, said no. And when we asked that in 2016, 69% said no. So 70% of BC is pretty much no religion. They might still believe in a higher power. So that's why we asked, do you believe in a higher power? And in 2013, 56% said no. Sorry, in 2013, 56% said they did believe. I'm just fumbling over all my numbers. In 2013, 70% said they believed in a higher power. In 2016, that fell to 56%. So a drop of 14% in three years, which you could argue is due to a number of statistical issues, but it is outside the margin of error of both of those polls. The point is just being that Canada and BC especially are becoming non-religious and yet the non-religious are not allowed to perform marriages in BC. While I was doing the research for this, I came across one other section that was just interesting that I wanted to put in here and I want to talk about a bit. It's that we can't just go out and perform marriages and say they're legal, not just because the Marriage Act doesn't reflect it, but because it's actually illegal in the criminal code and you could go to jail for two years. Sections 290 to 295 of the criminal code, which are right before the blasphemy law, interestingly enough, which is 296, criminalize things like bigamy, polygamy, they are separate offenses, pretending to solemnize marriages, feigned and forced marriages, and any marriage contrary to law. Some of those make sense, others are a bit more questionable. So specifically, question, section 293, which criminalizes polygamy, was subject to a famous Supreme Court of BC test case when the governments were thinking of prosecuting the bountiful BC 
um, fundamentalist Mormon polygamous sects with this. And they said, if we charge them with polygamy, will it hold up under the Constitution? And after a long detailed analysis with a lot of interveners, the Supreme Court of BC actually said, probably, that there is enough evidence that polygamy as it's practiced in general is harmful and the state has an interest in preventing that harm. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate about polygamy here, but it's sort of in this realm of talking about changing marriages. We're not arguing for a slippery slope. Section 294, though, interestingly, says, everyone who solemnizes or pretends to solemnize a marriage without lawful authority, the proof of which lies on him, or procures to a person to solemnize a marriage, knowing that he is not lawfully authorized to solemnize the marriage, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding two years. Yeah, and this becomes really weird because last year we did do a training session for humanist officiants where we did pretend marriages. So I'm not sure if those are technically illegal. I know we have a lawyer in the room, but we can talk about that later. I'm, he's not a criminal lawyer, though. <laughs> I'm not going to put that on you, Stuart. These are very obscure sections of the criminal code, though, and most pe people don't even know they're there. In fact, they haven't even really been tried until 2014 in Ontario when a Dorchester woman actually did plead guilty to six counts. She was known as Dale Reed at the time, or also Dale Brewster. The reports are a little bit weird. They sort of, she changed her name or something, maybe because she was charged with performing fake marriages. Essentially what happened is she performed a number of marriages without being authorized by the province of, East, of Ontario. But when they were going to sentence her after this plea, neither the prosecution nor the defense actually knew what to recommend as a sentence. They thought two years seems a bit ridiculous to put someone in jail for this when it's sort of like a fraud case almost. So they eventually settled that she would get 30 hours of community service and had to pay back all the fees she collected from the couples who procured her marriages. It was basically just this void. So this had never really been used in case law. And I did try to look in Canley, our, doc, uh, our public repository of legal decisions, if this had ever been used, and I can't find any other cases. What was interesting is one of the couples that was married by this woman applied to the Ontario Family Court for an annulment. They basically got married by her and then decided that they didn't want to be married, and they said, oh, but she was a fraud, so that'll get us out. But the case actually got dismissed, and the, they wouldn't throw out the marriage because it turns out under the Marriage Act of Ontario, and I believe it's similar in BC, any marriage, quote, solemnized in good faith shall be deemed a valid marriage. So effectively, if the couple believes the marriage is legitimate, it's legitimate. This sort of means the fraudster is the one on the hook because you shouldn't punish the couple for that. What's interesting, though, is after this case with the Dorchester fraud, fraudster, um, it seemed to open the doors to the Ontario Provincial Police to just sort of start prosecuting more and more. In 2015, there was a Buckhorn, Ontario man who was charged after a couple reported him to the police. There was another in December 2016 in Perry Sound, Ontario, who had two counts of pretending to solemnize a marriage in February and June of last year. But outside of that, it doesn't seem like any attorney generals are really eager to prosecute pretend marriages. I'm not advocating you go pretend to marry people, but 
I thought this is a sort of interesting aside to this whole discussion. But it also does highlight that we can't perform marriages because we risk community service. <laughs> Which you should be doing anyway. So how does marriage work in BC? The BC performing marriages in BC is governed by the Marriage Act. Marriage is a weird bit of constitutional law where marriage is sort of a federal jurisdiction, but regulating the solemnization, the performing of marriages is provincial jurisdiction. So you have the Federal Civil Marriage Act that legalized same-sex marriage, but then you have marriage acts in each province saying who can, mar who can get married and who can perform marriages. And they're all pretty much the similar. They were all mostly taken from pre-existing English law and then adapted through time. BC's Marriage Act essentially grants the authority to the Chief Executive Officer of Vital Statistics, which is under the Department of Health, to interpret it and implement the act. There's essentially three ways you can perform a marriage in BC or procure a marriage, I guess, if you're looking at it from the couple's perspective. You can have a religious ceremony performed by a religious representative of a recognized religious, of a recognized religious body. You can have a civil ceremony performed by a government-appointed marriage commissioner. Or there's two sort of carve-outs that I just lumped together for Treaty First Nations, so where the BC has signed a treaty with an indigenous group that group can perform marriages according to their own customs for their people, which it's a government-to-government -government relation, so that makes sense to me. There's also a weird carve-out for the Dukabors that I don't fully understand because I'm not as versed in the history of BC and the special relationship with the Dukabor communities, but they do get a sort of opt-out to perform marriages according to their own rites and passages, as it were. I think I'll go into the marriage commissioners first because people say, well, what's the difference between a humanist marriage and a civil marriage? And a lot of the time it's not substantively different, but I think the point is whether or not the couple recognizes you or is sort of part of your worldview. So in 1982, BC brought in the marriage commissioner system. This allows the government to essentially appoint civil commissioners to perform these marriages, but they're under a very strict set of restrictions. They have to only serve for 10 years. There's a finite number of positions, and this is the biggest concern. They basically only hire per region when there's a vacancy, and they try to really restrict supply, I guess, of marriage commissioners. The marriage commissioners, can we save comments to the end, please, Laura? Marriage commissioners have to use very specific language in their ceremony. There's two lines that must be in every civil marriage that are not required in religious marriages. Religious marriages can be anything. I don't have them here, but they're basically, do you lawfully agree to wed this person and know of, or do you agree to wed this person and know of no legal impediments, and then you have to say it to the other person. They're a bit legalistic and unromantic. Marriage commissioners must be retired, interestingly, so you can't have young people unless you're a young retired person. You're not offer, marriage commissioners are not authorized to provide planning or consultation services. You just perform marriages. And your fees are fixed. I think it's about $50 plus some transportation costs. So you can charge a per kilometer bait, but even that is fixed. You have to live in the community where you perform. You can't advertise or promote your services. You have to report all your revenues to vital statistics. And you must have no involvement in any activity that may cause actual or perceived conflict of interest. Effectively, you're an employee of the state performing marriages for the state, sort of a 
bit more of an independent contractor than a justice of peace or judge performing marriages, but it's around the same level of government control and oversight, in my view. None of these requirements obviously exist for the religious representatives. If you go onto the BC Vital Statistics website, there's generally between zero and there were actually 10 vacancies listed in at the end of March when I looked at this, but those might be all gone by now. There are approximately 370 marriage commissioners across BC, according to Vital Statistics, which is enough, I guess, to perform civil marriages, and that's what most people get if they don't want a religious wedding. But the question is, what if you do want a non-religious wedding that means more? And that's what a humanist wedding is. So religious representatives are the other big category. And if you go online right now, you can find all kinds of religious representatives. Unfortunately, the act doesn't really define what a religion is. It says a religious body is, quote, any church or religious denomination, sect, congregation, or society, which is sort of a circular definition, a religion is a religious body and vice versa. It doesn't say what the characteristics are of a religion. That is essentially given in the act and accompanying policy the entire authority to that CEO of Vital Statistics, who was Jack Shuchuk in 2013, I believe still is. So they have sort of devised within Vital Statistics a questionnaire to test if your religion is valid or not. They through the requirements of the act, they do have to test that the religious body is sufficiently well established. The way they test that is basically, have, has your religion been around for five years, I believe, and just sort of prove, or is it recognized somewhere else? Do you have congregants, these kind of things? What do you do? And they do take a sort of broad definition at times and a sort of narrowed one. They are given the authority to duly authorize they are given the authority to solemnize marriages according to the rights and passages, rights and usages of the religious body to which the person belongs. So essentially, the act says, you're a minister, perform, you're a minister of the Catholic Church, you perform Catholic weddings. Makes sense. That's what it's there for. But however, when I was doing the review and the research for this, this doesn't seem to be overseen very thoroughly beyond just at least the paperwork being completed. completed. If you just go on Google and look up marriage celebrants, you'll find lots of celebrants who market themselves in what I'll call commercial or secular rather than religious language. They'll talk about wedding planning services and don't really emphasize that, oh, I'm evangelical or I'm spiritualist or where they come from. Some call themselves interfaith religious officiants. That's a quote from one website. And they'll offer ceremony packages, and it's all done in sort of secular language. So it got me thinking, who are the people allowed to perform marriages? And this is where we submitted a freedom of information request to the government, because we asked Vital Statistics a couple times, because under the Act, they are required to put together a list of who can perform marriages. But they don't publish that on the website. So this list had to exist, so I said, all right, can I see it? And they said, well, submit a freedom of information request, and that might take a while. And because it's big, it might cost you $300. And I was like, our freedom, the free part of freedom of information requests is important in there and is not meaningless. It's not trivial. It does mean that if the request takes under three hours, they have to give it to you for free, and they can't charge you for the time it takes to research it or to photocopy it. If it's extensive, if I ask to see the application of every 
um, marriage commissioner where every religious representative who'd been registered in BC since the dawn of time, they could charge me for that. They can't charge you for the redacting time, but digging up all the records and photocopying them. So I was still curious about this and I wrote a stronger letter with the FOI and said, here's the parts of the act that say if there's a public interest, which I think we have since we're a charity and we're gonna publish this list. And we're using it for genuine purpose and we don't have a lot of money because we're a small charity. Those are the two opt-outs of paying the fee. And they eventually did give me the list for free. So that was nice. They'd also actually told other people who'd gotten in touch with me asking if they can perform marriages that there is no such list. So this was also interesting. So when we got the list, it includes 6,880 representatives from 455 organizations. Each Catholic church essentially is a different organization. That's how it sort of adds up. Once you start tagging, I went through this list and had to categorize them as Christian, Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, other, etc. And when you do that, 71% of the organizations are Christian, and that makes up 90% of the representatives. So most uh, marriage representative, religious marriage representatives are Christian or of a Christian church, including Catholicism. The rest are mostly Sikhs, Baha'i, Islam, Hinduism, which is not surprising. There's 10 spiritualist churches that are registered across BC. And you can and we can invite a spiritualist if you really need to figure out what they believe in because I can't quite figure it out. Uh, there's another, the 10 spiritualist churches have 70 representatives. There are two Wiccan groups registered and they have 13 representatives. And I can see how both of those can be considered religions. They do have sort of spiritual beliefs. They have sort of a common code. It's not as dogmatic as say Orthodox Christianity, but it fits a sort of broader definition of religion. But then the list gets a bit broader as you start looking into the New Age or spiritual theistic groups, such as Ekenar, something called the Sacred Circle of the Great Mystery Shamanic Society, the Movement for Spiritual Inner Awake Awareness, which I had to look up and sort of related to some New Agey type cults from sort of the West Coast of America, something called Tenrikyo, which is a Japanese sort of New Age spiritualist movement, and Aryash Samaj, which I think was a Indian, uh, East Indian spiritualist movement that came over. Those all have some supernatural belief. There's another 10 Buddhist organizations on the list with 29 organ representatives, including Zen Buddhist organizations, three of them, where Zen Buddhists are explicitly non-theistic. They are very much the sort of inner transcendental, but they're still recognized as a religion because I guess we want a government that doesn't persecute Buddhists, but does persecute atheists. My favorite on the list was the Church of Scientology who has eight representatives, never minding that the Church of Scientology is not recognized as a religion by the Canada Revenue Agency. So there's a challenge in there. I did look up when I was looking at this what the status of the Church of Scientology in downtown Vancouver is because Vancouver kindly publishes the tax code refer, uh, information of every property in BC and the downtown church is tax exempt as a religious organization. So there's something to write your city councilors about. And then there's a couple other organizations 
the Canadian International Metaphysical Ministry that I'll talk about more in depth in a second, the Canadian Unitarian Council, and some of our best friends are Unitarians, but they're in that sort of, a lot of Unitarians are atheists, but, and they have no dogma. And there's something called the Church of Truth Community of Conscious Living, which also explicitly says it has no dogma and is open to the non-religious. But yet they reject us. So the Canadian International Metaphysical Ministry is one that I'd come across before I got the results of this FOI, because when I was looking around, I would find a few of these sort of commercial celebrants, commercial sounding celebrants, um, who said they were advertising themselves or who were registered under something called the Celebrant Foundation Institute, and one of them linked to CIMM. What it basically is, is a religion of metaphysics. And I spoke to the founder of it, and he talked about how they got their registration. They were initially rejected, but after they amended their bylaws and their sort of constitution and what they define themselves as, they talk about how metaphysics is a sort of spiritual realm for them that they connect to. And once they defined it that way, I guess vital statistics thought that they were a religion, and now they appoint uh, marriage representative, people to perform marriages. They do require that before they appoint someone, they get some sort of certification and do some higher study in metaphysics, as it's called. And so there are groups like the Metaphysical University and the Celebrant Foundation and Institute. And if you go to the Celebrant Foundation and Institute, you can see that their tuition is $2,500 US, and you can take all their courses online. Once you get that certification, you can send it to CIMM, and it looks like you could basically become one of their officiants to perform marriages. He did tell me over the phone that they are trying to make sure that their people do sort of profess metaphysics and that all of their ceremonies do involve some level of religion, however broadly you define that. But he did also recognize, I think, that there was a bit of a disparity and they are supportive of us being included under this list. CIMM has been growing quick and is recognized in BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec, and they have now 97 registered representatives in BC. When there's, I think I said 380 marriage commissioners. So it's a very growing, growing field. What gets even more interesting for me is where my wife and I got married was at the chapel on top of Queen Elizabeth Park, the sort of little thing outside Bledel. It's a beautiful venue. You open the back doors into the gardens, and it's just a picturesque setting. That group is actually owned by something called the Chapels, which licenses the space or rents the space from the Vancouver Parks Board. The Chapels is run by a number of ministers, essentially, because they can provide someone to perform the marriage there. And when I was looking into it at the time, we wanted to use the venue, but the more I looked into it, the more I realized the main priests they would offer were evangelical Christians. And that's not the wedding I wanted. <laughs> Even if he would say every word that we agreed, you still want someone there who reflects your marriage. So that's why we brought in Lori Williams. But this raises a bigger question to me. This chapels group also owns or also operates the venues in Stanley Park and Mineroo Park in Richmond. And so they have multiple sort of municipal agreements. But it raises a question for me of 
if by the act, religious representatives are supposed to perform religious marriages according to their rights and usages, why can the priests working for the chapels perform any marriage at that facility? Or if he won't, if he has to make sure it's religious, why is the city endorsing that? Either way, I think there's a troubling answer that we need to push back on. I think that's all I have to say about the sort of state of the Marriage Act in BC. There are, I don't know a lot about how Treaty First Nations perform their marriages, but it's given under their own sort of governance. I believe in each treaty, there are only a few have their structure, and I don't know anything about Dukabor marriages. So if you do, please fill in in the questions. But let's go across Canada and then around the world to look at different jurisdictions. I'll start with Quebec because it's the most like BC right now. The Quebec humanists have been trying for about as long as us to perform marriages, but running into just as many sort of roadblocks. In 2011, the Association, Association Humanist du Quebec, apologies for my butchering of the French language, did apply to become a religious body under the Quebec Marriage Act. They essentially based their application on what had happened in Ontario, and I'll get to that in a minute. That was ultimately denied on the basis that humanism is not a religion. AHQ challenged this to the Human Rights Commission there and sort of put forward their statements of this is unconstitutional and doesn't reflect the Quebec Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In March of last year, the commission announced its results and basically said, since humanism is not a religion by your own admission, which they did put in evidence, it's not covered by the protection of religion of the Quebec Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and therefore no discrimination has happened, and we close this case. I have the French here, but I'm not going to try to read it again. But I did confirm this both with Michelle Verade, who's the president of the AHQ, and Google Translate, and my own like middle school level French that it does translate to that. If you want to see the text, I can show you this. Unfortunately, this sort of violates the principles under different federal uh, Supreme Court of Canada rulings, including the um, uh, Movement Laïque du Québec, which is the Quebec Secular Association, versus Saguenay case, which was the famous uh, city prayer uh, ruling, which hit the Supreme Court of Canada and essentially said the government must be neutral with respect to religion or non-religion, with respect to atheism or theism. It shouldn't try to push one or the other and should be treated equally. AHQ at this point has not decided, has decided not to pursue further action. The remedies to this uh, Human Rights Commission ruling would be to sue and they didn't feel they have the resources, capacity or arguments to take it forward at this point, which is a bit unfortunate because I think they could win long term and that would be a nice precedent, especially if the Quebec government dug its heels in and brought it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, as they did with the uh, city prayer issue. The contrast, though, is in Ontario, where initially the Ottawa Humanist Association applied in 1996 to perform marriages as religious, as a religious organization. The Marriage Act of Ontario is 
largely similar to BCs. You have to remember it has the same sort of categories I just set out in much the same language too. These are basically carbon copied laws. But for whatever reason, the Ontario Registrar General at the time said, yeah, you look religious enough for the purposes of the act. Go ahead and appoint ministers or whatever you want to call them to form marriages according to secular humanism. So in a way, the government of Ontario deemed humanism to be a religion, but for legal purposes is different than the sort of semantic arguments we could get into later, which are kind of irrelevant. The Ottawa Humanist Association in 1997 transferred that authority to Humanist Canada, sort of on advice of the registrar. I think the Ottawa group might have been shrinking at the time. I don't know for sure. But Humanist Canada, I think, was at a good place to take it over. And that's why Humanist Canada now has the authority to grant marriages or perform marriages in Ontario. Another group called the Humanist Society of Friends, which is actually related to the Humanist Society in the US, which is now a branch of the American Humanist Association, supposedly had been recognized by the government of Ontario in the 1980s, but I couldn't find much more reference than that. I don't believe they can right now. So Humanist Canada has performed um, 640 marriages in Ontario in 2014 despite having a provincial membership of under 200 people. So they have very sort of small membership in the province, or good for, I guess, this time, but are reaching well beyond that. So they're putting humanism out into the community in a very positive way, touching people's lives. They run this entirely as from a volunteer board of directors and a sort of um, self-governed committee of peers. And they have a code of conduct and procedure for discipline and basically a structure set out for this. In, uh, excuse me. in October 2015, Humanist Canada basically set up a system where if you were trained in some other way outside of Ontario, they would match that to, because they run um, training programs in Ontario for officiants, and they wanted to try to expand that, and they still do. And so they're setting up uh, accreditation recognition systems to recognize people outside. The other thing that's happened is the Ontario Humanist Society, which is a separate charity, was granted the authority to solemnize marriage in 2009. It's registered over 20 officiants and has sort of a similar structure to Humanist Canada. So you can get a humanist to perform marriage in Ontario based on it being recognized as a religion, but nowhere else in Canada. I haven't done an exhaustive research of all of the marriage acts of Canada, but I believe I think it's Nova Scotia doesn't actually have, I think there was one province potentially that doesn't actually allow civil marriages. You sort of could go to a judge, but there's no in the community version. How am I on time? Oh, good. I'm gonna race around the world and then come back to BC. So Australia and New Zealand are really interesting. In Before 1973, Australia really only had religious marriages in much the same way that BC does. And they'll put out a list of who the religious organizations are that are recognized. But in 1973, I don't know what his exact position at the time, but he's been High Court Justice, Senator, former Attorney General uh, of Australia, Lionel Murphy, who is a humanist, essentially when he was in government, decided to create a civil celebrant program. He said, we have people performing religious marriages, but we have an increasingly secular population who aren't served by that. What's different from their marriage 
what's different from our marriage commissioner program is the civil celebrants are people who just apply and say, hey, I have met your basic qualifications. Can I perform marriages? And they just check you off. There's no finite number. And your fees aren't set by the government. You basically, if you want to be a celebrant in Australia, I think you might have to take one or two courses, but it's sort of a minimum bar rather than a, we only hire who we need, sort of the alternate approach. This means they have lots of celebrants, not all of who perform many marriages, and they actually discourage people from applying unless you're actually serious about it. But what it does mean is that the humanist associations there have been able to have their people just become celebrants and then form a humanist celebrant network of them who can perform marriages that they choose to. New Zealand followed a very similar path. In 1976, they adopted a similar law, and so they also have civil celebrants who are humanists. There's weird quirks in New Zealand's marriage law for some reason. They can only conduct marriages between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. I don't know why they have a time limit on them. I guess business can only be done at that time. But New Zealand, the New Zealand humanists have four celebrants, and the New Zealand Association of Rationalists and Humanists have four more. Some are registered by both. And then there's also three justices of the peace who are listed on those. So they have about 12 people across the country who are able, 11 people across the country who are able to perform marriages. Iceland's an interesting case because it's become a very non-religious country in the last few years. The Church of Iceland, though, is a Lutheran church and is the official state church of Iceland. It has always sort of received a state tax, like a lot of the other Nordic countries. So if you pay taxes, a portion of that just goes to the Church of Iceland. This is obviously discriminatory and anti-secularism. And the way they sort of fixed it was they put a list of religions on there and said, which religion do you want your money to go to? And they didn't really have an atheist option. That's better. But Sid Sidment, I don't know how to pronounce it, the Icelandic Human Ethical Humanist Association has been opposed to this for a long time, or opposed to this inequality. So they've lobbied for equal legal and funding status with the religious organizations. So rather than kick the money out of the religions, they're saying, us too. So they submitted applications on multiple chances to try to be recognized. And when their first was rejected, they sort of worked with lawyers and politicians and experts to really refine it and figure out how they could gain equal status. And they saw sort of two routes, either get legislative change or go through the courts from sort of the Icelandic Human Rights Commission or whatever the equivalent is, all the way up to the European Court of Human Rights if they had to. They didn't really like that idea because that could take a decade or more and drain a lot of funds from everyone. But luckily, they were actually to make good inroads with the Minister of Domestic Affairs in January 2013 and did get the law changed. If you followed Icelandic politics over the last 10 years, it's really fascinating. They've had, they, after the financial crash in 2008, instead of bailing out all their banks, they sort of had a massive revolt and sort of kicked all the politicians out and decided they'd default on their loans but then go a different route and sort of rebuild their economy from a sort of center-left populist point of view. And it's been really interesting to follow. They've had like pirate party near majorities almost, or lots of different, I don't know all the specifics, but it's fascinating. It's definitely something to relook up. Anyway, the point is in there have been a lot of different views, including humanists who are very sympathetic to the idea that 
there shouldn't just be this sort of state stranglehold on funding religion. So they expanded the law from recognizing just religious organizations to all including life stance organizations. And that meant now the Icelandic Humanist Association is getting equal status. That equal status in funding also meant equal status in performing marriages. So now the Icelandic Humanists since 2013 have been able to perform uh, appoint officiants and perform marriages. What's interesting is since 1989, they've been performing confirmation or coming of age ceremonies. And in 2015, they performed 304 of those, which represented 7.5% of all of the confirmation ceremonies performed that year. So they are growing. Uh, their first humanist marriages were performed at the end of 2007, but they weren't recognized until 2013. So basically, you'd have your humanist marriage, but then you'd have to go to a justice of the peace or something and get the certificate signed. In 2016, they performed 20, 166 marriages, versus in 2013, they performed 36. And in 2007, they performed one of those. So they've been growing very fast. And I should say, a lot of this information I'm giving you comes from just direct correspondence with the activists involved in these countries who are more than willing to share their stories. And they're fascinating people. Iceland has also abolished its blasphemy law following the successful lobbying of the Icelandic Humanist Association in the last few years. While I'm in the Nordic countries, I'll talk briefly about Norway, which had a very similar path. Prior to 2004, marriage was the sole purview of the church. Essentially, the Lutheran Church of Norway, the, state, then, the, the then state church, governed all of marriage. They included verifying the couple's eligibility to get married, and so all the paperwork was done by the church. This meant that if the church didn't like who you were marrying, they had some say over it. This was a problem. So Human Etisk Forbund, which is a Norwegian humanist association, did similar lobbying to the Icelandic humanists actually a few years before, and in basically became one of the checkboxes for if you're no religion or humanist, your, money go, your tax money goes to the humanist association there. Consequently, the Norwegian humanists are actually probably the largest humanist organization in the world. They have 84,000 members in a country of Norway, which is not a very big country. They perform a lot of marriages since 2004, when they first became allowed. Basically, when they similarly got recognized to be on the checklist, They've got the authority to perform marriages there. But they've been lobbying harder for other things. They said, why are the churches still responsible for all this paperwork? So they've been lobbying and managed to get a lot of that paperwork put on the government's shoulders so that it's more fair and equitable. In 2009, Norway legalized same-sex marriage. And a big change with a big problem with that was, or a big issue at that time, was church-sponsored weddings some Church of Norway priests were okay with same-sex marriage, some weren't, and they were finding a lot of discrimination, and it wasn't clear that it was being treated equally. So they continued to protest. Uh, the Norwegian humanists perform, actually did perform the same, first legal same-sex marriage in Norway, which was a nice achievement. So basically, the way they eventually lobbied the Church of Norway is now individual priests can refuse to perform a same-sex marriage if it goes against their beliefs. But otherwise, they're still sort of pushing back on this. What the Norwegian humanists really want is marriage to essentially become just a government function. If you want to get married, 
The legal part is just you sign a certificate at the registrar office, and then you can have any ceremony you want if you want. I don't know of any countries that have this system. They might exist, but it's the sort of tempting libertarian ideal of marriage almost. And I don't oppose it. I just don't know if it'll get there with sort of the historical baggage. But imagine you just go to the registry office like you get your driver's license. You sign the forms. You're married. Have a ceremony if you want, however you want. The Norwegian humanists have 168 wedding officiants who conduct 700 to 750 marriages each year. They have a thorough sort of training and vetting process for their marriage officiants as well, as most of these countries do. Now I want to come back to the English world. In Ireland, they've been appointing officiants to perform marriages for quite a while, but they weren't legally recognized until 2013. So they would say, you know, perform the ceremony, but then you'd have to seek that legal recognition somewhere else. So they began campaigning for an amendment to the Marriage Act to change this, and I think they started before 2002, and it took until 2013 to actually get recognized. They made good inroads with the Labour Party of Ireland, who formed a junior partner in a coalition in 2011, and in 2013 they got the Civil Registration Amendment Act that basically just added everyone who'd been recognized by the Human Association of Ireland to the approved list of celebrants. So in 2015, 1,264 marriages were performed by Human Association of Ireland, or 5.7% of all marriages in the country. In 2016, their 30 celebrants performed almost 2,000 ceremonies, so they're growing quite quickly. In Norway, which is a traditionally very Catholic country, you have to remember. Ireland. Norway is not very Catholic at all. The United Kingdom is also very interesting because its laws are very influential on ours. And it's also one of the sort of token pictures of where humanist marriage has been successful, but also not. The most famous, is, of course, is Scotland because Scotland has had civil or had humanist marriages since about 2005 when they started authorizing some humanist celebrants on a case-by-case -case basis. In 2014, though, the Humanist Society of Scotland lobbied very successfully for a change to the Marriage Act there which now expanded that religious category that's very, that was very similar to ours to include belief systems. There's no perfect word to describe what humanism is, but belief systems, fine. So they have religious or belief bodies and give equal foot to humanist and non-religious, or to humanist and religious groups. So since then, there are now two or three different humanist groups that are registered, the Humanist Society of Scotland being the biggest. I believe the others are the Independent Humanist Ceremonies and the Humanist Fellowship of Scotland. But in 2013, humanist ceremonies overtook the number of Catholic ceremonies being performed, and were only just behind Church of Scotland. And in 2015, the number of Church of Scotland and the number of Church of Scotland weddings has just been declining. In 2003, they performed 10,000. In 2015, they performed 4,000. So people are leaving the Church of Scotland just because it's. I believe the Church of Scotland is roughly equivalent to our Anglican Church or the Church of England in the same sort of Protestant uh, manner. In 2015, though, there were 4,290 humanist marriages, which was more than the Church of Scotland when you combine the different humanist groups. Most of those, I said, as I said, were performed by the Humanist Society of Scotland's 155 celebrants. And those other two organizations 
perform 557 and 355 marriages. So these smaller organizations are still getting out there and performing a lot of weddings. Civil marriages are still more popular than humanist marriages in Scotland, but in terms of the religious and belief systems, humanism is now the like almost default. If you want a meaningful ceremony in Scotland, you go to the humanists. The rest of the United Kingdom is not as progressive though. Um, in England and Wales specifically, they've been the British Human Association has been campaigning for a long time to seek equal status. They've been they established a ceremonies program quite a while ago, and they'll perform a lot of memorials, sort of welcoming ceremonies for babies, invocations at city councils if they're requested, and similar programs. They've also been performing marriages, but those are sort of token marriages that then again you have to go and get a specific certificate from a judge or otherwise. But the British humanists have been incredibly influential in Parliament. They have a British uh, humanist, um, humanist parliamentary caucus, which consists of over 100 MPs and peers who are across all parties. There aren't as many conservative humanist politicians as there are, say, Labour, but they are there. So they do have voices on all sides of the bench. They were actually their biggest, their, the closest they came was in 2014 when, and 2013 when the government was looking at equal marriage and bringing in same-sex marriage in the country. And they said, while you're, while you're opening up the Marriage Act, why not put us in there too? And they ran consultations, and the government actually did look at it seriously. They ran a consultation from June to September of 2014, and over 90% of respondents favored changing the law to include humanist marriages. There was no one, because there's no one who was really opposed to it, except sort of the fundamentalist evangelicals or people who are really anti-humanist. Unfortunately, those people won the day, and reports came out in the Times of London, or the Sunday Times, which said right before the 2015 election, I believe, the Prime Minister's office, someone in there, killed the issue, considering it a fringe issue that might cost them votes. The arguments against expanding humanist, expanding marriages to humanists in that country I think fell along this sort of slippery slope argument of, well, if we let the humanists perform it, the Jedi will want to, and whatever bowling club will want to perform marriages next. To which you can answer, so what? But you can also say, well, look at Scotland. They don't have random fringe groups performing it, and they still have a sacrosanct sort of institution of marriage, but it's just more equal now. Northern Ireland's very similar, being a very religious and sectarian community, and they haven't had any luck sort of getting the assembly there to consider it. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the British Human Association has over 300 celebrants across England and Wales and Northern Ireland. We're coming to a close-ish. The United States is the final country I'll talk about because it's the most Interesting and sometimes informative. I think Britain offers some good examples too, though. M marriage in the U.S. is a largely state-by-state -state issue, so each state has its own way of approaching it. Some are very liberal and say anyone who says they're a religion will pretty much assume it is because freedom of religion and we shouldn't really test religions. So you have things like the Universal Life Church, which has always been a sort of, if you believe in life, you can be a part of this church and you can be a minister and you can... You used to have to apply by mail, but now you just fill out a form online and they will email you an ordination certificate, which is recognized in a lot of states because they're not gonna test the religion. 
And so you can get this online ordination and perform marriages in a lot of places in the US. And that's how people get married. They'll have their friend get ordained for the weekend. This is even on pop culture. I believe on Friends, Joey performed one of the weddings because he just got this online certification. I think that's how it happened. And they're actually pretty famous. People on the Universal Life Church's website include Conan O'Brien, Lady Gaga, Stephen Colbert, Richard Branson, Benedict Cumberbatch, Dwayne Johnson, Paul McCartney, and Sir Ian McClellan. Not all atheists, but just people who wanted to perform a wedding. On the humanist side, the Humanist Society became a branch of the American Humanist Association in 1991 and is sort of recognized by the board chaplaincy certification. They're recognized by sort of broader chaplain organizations. And it was registered originally as a religion. So the American Humanist created this branch and said, this is our religious branch. And the government went, all right, that's fine. And they have 100 celebrants in 33 states, and they're continuing to grow. And they do have a sort of formal certification and training session program for that. But there is that sort of counterculture in humanism where we don't want to call ourselves a religion because that feels like holding your nose and sort of dirty. And a big chunk of that is sort of under the Center for Inquiry. And so they've, they have a secular celebrant program which really tries to make sure there's equal footing between the explicitly non-religious and the religious, not just in practice but in law as well. So they've done a couple lawsuits. In 2012, they were trying to get someone registered in the state of Indiana and they said this restriction that it's only religious groups violates the Establishment Clause or the First Amendment and really wanted to just see humanists perform their own weddings. Unfortunately, that was initially struck down. They said the lower court judge didn't agree and did some weird legal, legal jujitsu to sort of entrench religious privilege. But CFI took this to appeal in 2014 where they had a unanimous vote overturning it and the Court of Appeal described that lower ruling as irrational, hypocritical, and absurd, which is just damning. And I could go into more of that. But in 2016, they did a similar lawsuit in the state of Illinois, and also one in 2017, with the US District Court ruling that excluding secular celebrants is unconstitutional. Those legal arguments are very helpful and instructive. So CFI has done a lot of legwork in the US in terms of building legal arguments that if we needed to go that route, we can just like copy paste or the ideas, not the words. So what has happened in BC? And as you know, we were formed in 1984. And our charitable status includes to offer and provide meaningful ceremonies to members and non-members at significant times, such as marriage and death. Those are words approved by the CRA as our charitable mandate which seems to imply we should be able to perform marriages, but we can't. In 2012, we created at the board level a sort of humanist efficient program, and we used the templates in Ontario because they have a very similar law to structure it. So we said we'll have this board or this sort of committee that's of officiants. We'll have a code of ethics that's largely similar because we agree on what humanism is and that you should not scam people. And sort of put all this together and submitted an application to Vital Statistics to say, here's sort of how we're as religious as they are, at least. Can we perform marriages in this province? I believe I, I've tried to look for it 
but I can't find it. I think there was a letter that some that the board wrote in 2008 before my time, or maybe even earlier, where someone just sort of one of the past presidents or board members wrote vital statistics and said, humanism is not a religion, but can we perform a religion, religious weddings anyway? Or can we perform weddings? And the vital statistics just said, no, if, if you want to perform weddings, you have to be religious. So we tried to do more than that. We tried to give our full case. Unfortunately, after almost a year waiting for reply, Jack Shuchuk, vital statistics CEO, told us in February 2013 that the constitution of the BC Humanist Association explicitly states that the purpose of secular humanism is to provide a valid alternative to existing religions and that humanism has no official dogma. This statement is further supported in the constitution by acknowledging that the association is an educational institution involved with ethics and morals. Accordingly, the association is not a religious body for the purposes of the Marriage Act. He goes on as well to say, we have this marriage commissioner thing and your sample marriages sort of look like that, so why not just apply to be marriage commissioners? And I hope I set out why those aren't humanist marriages. The act, his letter basically rejected us and killed our application. It did give us a 90-day window to appeal to the Supreme Court of BC, which we looked into at the time, and I tried hard to find pro bono counsel in that window, but when you go to a lawyer with a case like this that's actually fairly complex and niche, uh, they're hesitant because taking on a constitutional challenge is not a simple task. And so we can't perform marriages, but what we can do is do a ceremony where a marriage officiant sits in the corner, or a marriage commissioner, which is interesting. So the government actually has told marriage commissioners, or at least Lori Williams knows for sure, because that she can, that the way she performs a marriage doesn't actually have to be her saying all the words, she just has to witness it. So the marriage I performed for two friends was me saying all the words, her sitting in the corner basically babysitting our ceremony and making it legal, which if that doesn't strike you as discriminatory, you need to sort of revisit the definition. You don't have the government sitting in the corner of the Catholic Church's weddings and saying, all right, that's, that's a good wedding. I'm going to sign the paper at the end. So since then, we've uh, hosted, we built a training program last year where we had a small number of applicants come forward, including Andre, who's in the audience, and myself, to at least sort of put our names down as officiants for the ability to perform marriage, well, for the ability to perform naming ceremonies, memorials. Um, Catherine Hammond, who's one of our officiants, she performed a memorial, and she's pictured here. I think this might have been a baby welcoming, but she's done a couple ceremonies and had great reviews because she's a very compassionate human being. And then we've also gone through since then and built this report. And this report is essentially our path forward, and that's what the final chapter and what I'll get into in my final minute. <laughs> I, I didn't actually plan out how long this would be. I figured it would take about an hour, and we're doing pretty good. So the one other thing we've done is in our 2016 poll, we squeezed one question in at the end that sort of set out what how marriage is governed in BC. We said there are these two paths, marriage commissioners run by the government or religious marriages. And we asked the public, do you support or oppose the government of BC allowing non-religious groups to appoint individuals to perform marriage? And when we asked that, 65% of British Columbians said yes. They saw no problem with it. 
In fact, out of that, 39% were in strong support, and only 12% were strongly opposed, and only another 10% were somewhat opposed. It's overwhelmingly, yeah, why not? That doesn't mean this is a campaign issue that we will make an election ballot question, because I don't think anyone out there cares enough, except maybe a few people in this room. Not even, I bet I couldn't even get you all to make this a ballot question. But it means that if the government changes it, there's not going to be this outcry. What was really interesting was the strongest support came from those aged 18 to 34, so the youngest, who were 55% strongly supportive. An overwhelming majority of millennials strongly support humanist marriage. And as I said, we spontaneously, we spontaneously receive about half a dozen requests every year from people either wanting to perform a humanist marriage or get one. And we have to sort of say all of this, but in fewer words. One of those people, and I'm allowed to use his name, was Adam Creek, who in 2012, I believe, won Olympic gold medal for rowing. He asked if he could perform marriages, because he lives in Victoria now, for friends of his who he wanted to do. And he says, I perform legal marriages in Vermont and California, and I offered to deliver a personal and meaningful ceremony to close friends within my BC community. But after extensive research into the regulations, we were required to hire a marriage commissioner who awkwardly sat and watched while I delivered the ceremony. I support the call for BC's marriages law to be updated to be inclusive of non-religious people. Those of us who are thoughtful yet non-religious should have more options to legally minister in our communities. This isn't just a fringe issue. And Adam's a strong supporter of this, obviously. And he is also a passionate public speaker. So I think he's a great ally. Going forward, we basically have two options. We can either sue or change the law if we want to perform marriages. Or we can keep doing these awkward person in the corner marriages. But that doesn't really make anyone happy, I think. The legal option would require sort of two things. I've talked to a few lawyers about this, but this isn't their professional opinion, nor my non-lawyer one. We can either basically appeal our 2012 application saying, yeah, we missed that window, but it doesn't matter because this is a human rights issue, and human rights don't have an expiry date. And sort of make an argument that you should throw out that window just because this is still an outstanding discrimination. We would have to sort of build the case based on what I talked about in the American cases, where they talk about the discrimination and the unequal treatment. We have references in Canadian law, like the city council prayer case, that say you can't privilege religion over non-religion. And we can just really lean hard on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that guarantees freedom of thought, conscience, and belief. Alternatively, if they don't take our time argument, they can we can just put together another application, make it a bit stronger. Maybe they'll even accept it this time. And if not, go to court. If we're lucky, we only have to win at the BC Supreme Court, and then the government just capitulates and changes the Marriage Act. If we're unlucky, we keep going up until we get to the Supreme Court of Canada. The advantage there is if we go to the Supreme Court of Canada, it becomes law of land for the entire country, and we could win a massive blow for humanists in every province. That would take time, though, and money, and a lot of effort. Of course, the other option is a legislative amend amendment, and that would be getting the government to agree 
to essentially adopt one of those other models I suggested. Probably not the Nordic model where we just start funding religions. I don't think that's sort of the North American approach to secularism. We don't give all religions equal money. We let them sort of find their own money and compete equally there. So maybe we take the Scottish model where we expand religion to include belief system, or maybe we take the Australian model where we expand the marriage commissioners to just be anyone who can perform marriages can, or wants to perform marriages can. I don't know what's best, and I don't know where the political will is. We're in the middle of an election campaign, but this isn't really a left-right issue. There are atheists in the BC Liberals, there are atheists in the BC NDP, there are atheists in the BC Greens. BC Conservatives don't really exist, but there might be a couple atheists left there. Whoever wins, it's sort of a mounting campaign to make this an issue that they'll take up. I don't know if we can do that, but that's sort of the challenge. Do we convince politicians or do we convince the courts? And that's where we're at. So thank you, and I hope that gave you some insight into humanist marriages.